What is going on, guys? Happy Friday, and welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. This is the one-stop shop for all things coaching. We dive heavily into diet and training, but we do not stop there. We go even deeper and we touch on mindset, entrepreneurship, lifestyle, and everything you could think of to allow you to achieve more personal growth. That's what this podcast is all about. It's about helping you grow, helping you become better, and helping you get better results in all aspects of your life. If you are new to the show, be sure to check out our top four episodes. That would be the Nutrition FAQ, the Training FAQ, Nutritional Periodization, and My Personal Journey into Fitness. I'm going to link those four episodes in the show notes. Today is a Q&A, some of my favorite, and we have quite a bit of great questions today. Um, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 amazing questions, actually all centered around training and nutrition. There's nothing that goes outside of training and nutrition today. So this is going to be a deep dive. Grab your pat, pen, grab a pad, get ready to take notes. Um, I'm going to dive deep into all of these topics. And there are actually some really personal and individual questions. So these people actually went pretty in-depth, it seems like, on, on some of them to uh, kind of get themselves better results, which I actually really enjoy because I think you as a listener should really be taking advantage of this podcast. It's literally like a coach in your ear. So if you have questions about your training, questions about your nutrition, questions about your metrics, how you're tracking, if you're progressing, so on and so forth, what your periodization plan should look like, you should be sending questions in and you can do that at boomboomperformance.com slash podcast. There's a fill out form. You can shoot me an email, cody at boomboomperformance.com. You can just put podcast question as a subject line, or you can shoot me a DM on Instagram because I'm always on there and I respond to every single question I get. Um, but it's a good chance for you to get your stuff troubleshooted. Seriously, guys. So take advantage of that. I'm a coach that is giving you coaching for free, literally. So it is Friday. Because it's Friday, I want to give you guys a quick update on the week. Um, if you're on my newsletter list, you get this every Friday. Um, it used to be Sundays, but I've been doing it on Friday lately. It just seems that more people actually open the email on Friday, which is a good sign. It means my content is getting out to more people. Um, and then it also gives me a chance to take a break on Sunday, which is kind of nice. Um, but what I call it is the roundup. The roundup is essentially a content menu. Um, and this is something you're going to really want to take advantage of because it's, it's literally just a breakdown of everything we put out this week. And there's always quite a bit. Um, so I'm going to link everything in the description uh, below, but you will get access to a list of the podcast from this week. So we had episode one, part one of the nutrition fat loss series. We have the YouTube video, which is on Facebook as well. I'll link that, which is the part one series as well for nutrition for fat loss. However, you get to see me break it down on a whiteboard versus listening to it on your headphones. Um, so if you listen to that podcast and you enjoyed it, make sure you check out the video. If you like the video, please give it a like on YouTube. Please give it a share on Facebook. However, we can reach more people. It's literally just me coaching people into nutrition for fat loss for free. So I want to really get that out to as many people as possible. Um, episode Two of this week of the podcast was our interview with Austin Current, which aired on Wednesday, which I highly recommend you guys go check out if you are into the training side of things. He is uh, kind of the anatomical guy when it comes to all things training and how to move your body through a full range of motion and actually activate the muscles in the right way. So I really, really enjoyed that podcast. It's a really good one to listen to if you like programming inside of your workouts. Go check that out. Um, today is the Q&A. We also had a blog drop this week that was very popular, got a lot of eyes on, and a, for good reason. It's an insane transformation. It's actually a client case study. So if you want to see exactly how I took a client through a 15-month reverse diet, she didn't gain a single pound. She didn't lose a single pound, but she looks dramatically different. I mean, like, literally, she didn't look... Um, and this is why she approached me. She didn't look super physically fit in the first picture. She was fit. She did train. She did have a history of some training. So I'm not going to say she wasn't fit because she absolutely was. However, by the end of the 15 months, it's like, holy shit, night and day difference. Um, abs, muscle definition in her back and her legs and her glutes and her arms really, really improved her physique like she wanted to, really built up her strength. She actually cut cardio down, increased strength, and we almost doubled her calories over the course of 15 months. And now we're finally getting ready for a cut, um, literally week one as you listen to this. So um, go read that because this is similar to the one I did with Jeremiah where I literally break down month by month of her entire transformation, her entire reverse diet, and exactly how we broke down the entire process, all the adjustments, the cardio, everything. Um, it's, it's kind of one of those blogs. It's like, holy shit, you're giving this for free. Yes, I am. So go check it out. I'll link that in this uh, description as well. Um, and then I'm also going to link a couple, uh, posts that I did on Instagram that got a lot of 
engagement and a lot of insights from people, um, helped a lot of people out. So I always share on my newsletter these things. What blogs did we drop? What videos did we drop? What podcasts did we drop? And what were the top Instagram posts that we dropped? I'm going to drop all those in the description. So that's the content roundup, guys. We have a ton of information constantly going out. Um, so if you want to check out those things, it's all free, just like the free ebook at my website. You can head over to boomboomformance.com, get the free ebook. You'll jump on my newsletter, and then I'll email you four times a week, giving you more free information. And that's me publicly telling you what I'm going to do. It's not spam. It's literally content. I don't sell really in those at all. It's literally me giving you free information. So if you enjoy all this free content and you enjoy the education, I really do suggest you jump on my newsletter list, which is going to be linked in the description as well. We got a whole bunch of fucking links in the description. So <laughs> if you guys want any more free shit, uh, it's all in the description because that's what I love doing, giving away free stuff. Um, all right, guys. So without any further ado, that's all the announcements I have for you today. Um, let's get on to the Q&A. All right. Question number one. From Dabney Galloway, I heard on the podcast that Yohimbine was mentioned. What do you know about it and when would you recommend it? So Yohimbine is a fat burner. Um, It's one of the only fat burners uh, as a supplemental fat burner when I say that. So um, because I don't want to say it's the only fat burning substance because the reality is, is caffeine is a stimulant that has been shown to increase thermogenesis, which has been shown to increase caloric expenditure. So technically, caffeine is a fat burner, literally. Um, It's probably the most uh, advantageous. It's probably the best one to use um, because it also stimulates better performance. However, you can overstimulate your adrenals, and then it won't work. I'm actually... I've been getting a lot of questions about this, and this is kind of a side tangent to the Yohimbine, but I've been getting a lot of questions about my little decaf mission right now because I've been posting on uh, Instagram almost every day on my story like day seven caffeine free but I'm gonna be honest with you guys I still drink caffeine it's just significantly lower so brief story on to why because I get keep getting questions as to why and I think I typed up like two paragraph messages to multiple people asking why on Instagram but basically I'm what I'm doing now is I make one we have like a very small coffee pot in this Airbnb that we're in right now because we're still in the Airbnb we actually get our keys tomorrow while I'm listening to this so while you're listening to this I am finally moving into the new house I'm so excited about it Um, but we've been in Airbnbs this is going on week five now which has just been crazy Um, three different homes that we've lived in just been nuts but we have this little tiny coffee coffee pot and it cooks uh, up like maybe two cups uh, like normal cups. I have like a little like 10 to 12 ounce mug that I drink out of in the morning. Um, I have two of them, so I don't use the same one every day. I wash my dishes, people. Um, but it's it's 10 to 12 ounces. I fill that up twice, and then I'm done for the day. So usually I wake up, I, ma- I make that. I, I drink down those two cups of coffee with some collagen and some stevia in it. That's kind of my mixture. Um, and then I'll usually have like one more coffee in the middle of the day. Like I'll go to Starbucks and get a coffee or I'll make another pot and drink another cup before my workouts usually. However, for the last five weeks, since we've been in Airbnbs, um, it's been, it's been rough because I've been having to transition my office. Normally I have a full office in my home so I can do my work, do my podcast, film videos. I can do everything I need to do in there without disturbing my family, disturbing the baby when she's trying to take a nap, doing anything like that. However, in uh, a condo in the city, in the Airbnb, I don't have that luxury. So I'm actually walking to coffee shops and in different places to do emails and do programming and stuff like that. And what I noticed after about four weeks was that all of a sudden three cups a day turned into six, seven, eight cups a day. And I'm not even exaggerating. Like literally two cups in the morning and then I would go to a Starbucks and I'd get a venti, which is the large, right? So that's basically two cups right there. And I'd get two to three refills while I sat there and programmed and wrote emails and did content and I just worked for shit, I'd be in Starbucks for three, four hours, <laughs> like literally just drinking down coffee. Um, and a couple things were happening. Number one, I was experiencing a little more anxiety and a little more stress uh, than normal. Um, I'm kind of uh, a high stress individual, high anxiety individual, just meaning I'm, I'm really go, 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 love to talk, love to do, need to be creating constantly. So that can, it's good stress, but it's too much stress. And my body is kind of like always on, on kind of wired. Um, which can kind of wear you out. Coffee just exaggerates that. Um, on top of that, I was just noticing that 
caffeine wasn't really doing anything for me. It was like I was drinking it and I'm still yawning and I'm getting tired at night, like early. And I'm like, what the fuck's going on? Like, this is not normal. I'm, I'm getting my sleep. And, and it was just like, I was just getting worn out. I think my adrenals were getting a little taxed. Um, and then last but not least, like we started this cut and I think this higher stress, higher anxiety and higher caffeine consumption, like it was just plateau, like no shit. I, so what I did is I cut caffeine down to those two cups in the morning. It wakes me up cause I wake up at 4:45, 5 a.m. 4.45, my alarm starts getting going off. I literally get out of bed between 5, 5.15 because I hit snooze a couple times. And at that point in time, I just need some fucking coffee. I'm not going to lie. So I'm not cutting it out completely, but I would drink a couple cups of caffeine, uh, caffeinated coffee, uh, and then I would just go to decaf. So if I had two or three more cups, it just, it's just it been decaf. The first week, I literally – I fell asleep on the couch at 8 p.m. one night, like just – super early because it was just like man I have no energy it was bad but after about five days I started getting my energy back I think the decaf like placebos me into not having headaches or any of the the kind of withdrawals that some people have because I haven't had any issues with that I feel way better my energy is way more clear um, in the morning the caffeine that I drink really gets me going um, so I may never go back to be honest with you I think I feel so much better I don't even drink any more caffeine before my workout anything I feel so much better um, and Lo and behold, I dropped two pounds in a week. <laughs> like it was just like we we're on this cut, and I was kind of like, man, my body's really holding on this weight. We didn't adjust anything. Five weeks straight, no progress visually. I mean, I was filling out, gaining more muscle back because I've lost muscle since the surgery, but I was like slowly climbing up on the scale, kind of wondering. And then all of a sudden, boom, I dropped two pounds, um, probably a lot of water weight. Um, I'm still up, fuck, 4.8 pounds since surgery, but like way leaner, like within a matter of a few days. And, and that just goes to show you like how much stress can really hold on to fat um, and, and create water retention in you and just block fat loss, like literally. Um, when you have that much excess cortisol coming in from stress and your adrenals being worn out, you like, fat oxidation just isn't happening. Um, you can't be in a chronically elevated cortisol-based state constantly. Stress will stop that from happening. So that's kind of where I'm at with the caffeine. And, and since I've been seeing the results, since I've been feeling so much better in my workouts, in my work, throughout the day, I'm like less moody, less anxiety ridden. It's just kind of a no brainer. Like why go back to so much caffeine? Um, even if like three cups is totally fine, I'm doing so great on one to two. Like why even go back? Right. Cause even this morning, like I drank one, I filled up my second cup. I, I drank a couple sips and I forgot about it. And I came home after the gym and it was just, it was there still. So like sometimes I don't even need to, so that's where I'm at with that. It's been going really well. I just felt like I've been getting so many questions on it. I might as well kind of give a brief explanation as to why I'm doing that. Uh, but I love coffee too much, so I'm still keeping the decaf in there. All right. Anyway, Dabney, besides coffee being a fat burner, um, you had a question about Yohimbine. So Yohimbine is a supplement that has been shown to possibly help burn stubborn body fat. So, it, and it has been shown in studies, like it actually has been shown to work. It's just that it's kind of splitting hairs. If you are going from, as a male, let's say 11 to 10 or 9% body fat. So you're literally like, I have one, maybe 2% body fat left to get shredded. So I have like this little bit of stubborn body fat right around my love handles and my lower belly. Okay, we can add some Yohimbine um, with caffeine because it's shown to be more advantageous and like work a little bit better in combination of caffeine and you have to be in a fasted state. So it's, it, it works better. And I don't know if it's just a matter of the activation of the actual supplement or if it has anything to do with the type of fuel and substrate it's actually burning when you take it. But when you take the supplement, you need to be in a fasted state because it's basically burning off what is already stored versus burning off fuel or food that you've already consumed for that day. So if you're going to take Yohimbine, you should basically be on the last couple pounds of fat loss and you should be taking it with caffeine fasted in the morning before cardio or a workout. I would recommend before cardio. And this is the thing, like it, it, it this is why it's like nitty gritty, right? Like if you're somebody who is getting ready for a photo shoot or getting ready for a bodybuilding show, you have barely any time left in the timeline, you're on the last quarter of your, of your game and you want to shred as much as possible and you're already committed to fasted cardio, to dialing in these supplements, to investing more in your supplement stack, all these things, then you can take it. If you're somebody who's just looking to long-term burn more fat and get leaner and you have 10, 20, 30 pounds to lose, 
there's it's splitting hairs. It's probably not going to do much at all, and it's just not worth taking in general. Um, it's a waste of money, in my opinion. Um, also, you you have to remember too, like, is doing fasted cardio while taking a supplement every single day is that sustainable? Probably not. That's why it's a short-term effect for the last one to two percent. Um, and again, it has been shown to work, but unless you're that lean already, it's just it's just kind of splitting hairs. But like I said, it can work. And 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 I'm saying this from experience too. I've I've used it with people getting ready for a photo shoot, and I've used it personally getting ready for a photo shoot. So for example, I got I think I took twelve to sixteen weeks to get ready. What was it? Maybe it was sixteen weeks. It was it was either twelve or sixteen weeks, basically to shred the last like. I think I lost like eight pounds for a photo shoot, so I didn't get shredded, shredded, but I got pretty lean for the photo shoot. I worked with uh, Jason Theobald, Scooby Prep, and we got ready for that, and we took some yo himbine at the tail end of the prep, like I think halfway through the photo shoot prep, um, and it was I was doing fasted walks in the morning, so for me, I I train out of my garage gym when I have a home, <laughs> right now, right now. And I don't have a treadmill. So for me, it was like walks in the morning. And I would go on a 30-minute walk in the morning, completely fasted, on Yohimbine, L-carnitine, and a cup of coffee. The L-carnitine may possibly help fat oxidation. It, it kind of is another substrate that allows you to use fat for fuel. So if you're fasted, you combine these things together. There is a possibility that it burns stubborn body fat. Um, but again, it's it's so hard to tell for sure. It's one of those things where I was like, hey, I'm getting ready for a shoot. I don't plan to do this forever, and I have the money to spend on it, so why not, right? Like, I invest a lot into my body and my health, so spending some money on supplements isn't like a bad investment to me, and it's worth the experimental try. Was that what worked, or was it just the training and the long period of dieting? Who fucking knows? I, I, I couldn't tell you, but um, another thing to consider, and I believe, I want to say I was talking to this Maybe it was even off air. I don't know if we talked about it on the show with Austin Current, or maybe I just heard him talking about it. But um, there's been a lot of placebo-based studies. Um, for example, there was one study way back, that's an old study, that took two groups. Um, one group was, uh, nobody was on steroids. I don't. I think nobody was on steroids, but they told one group that they were taking steroids. The other group was not. And the group that was told they were taking steroids gained significantly more muscle. Now, was that because the brain literally thought it was on steroids, so muscle just appeared? Or was that because they thought they were on steroids, they felt like they were superhumans, and they just went super hard in the gym? Who knows? The point is placebo worked. Um, so in some cases, I look at supplements like pre-workouts and Yohimbine just like that. Like if I'm taking this stuff in the morning, I found some studies that show me that this will probably work. I might just believe into it, right? And that placebo effect might cause that fat loss. So there's a lot of thoughts that I have on Yohimbine, but that's kind of, uh, kind of where my mind goes. All right, Eric Elliott has two questions. Uh, by the way, Eric Elliott had a podcast recently. I'm going to add this to the Friday roundup that I mentioned in the intro. Um, he had a podcast with me on it. He interviewed me a while back, and that aired like a couple weeks ago, I think. I'm going to link that in the show notes. Really good interview um, on the Refocus Nutrition podcast. Um, I had a lot of fun with that conversation, and we really dove deep into some nutrition specifics about like recovery and cortisol and, and things like that, but then also dove into my personal story, and then as well, we talked uh, specifically about how to build, how to be a great coach, like how, like what real coaching is like, with the art of coaching, building your coaching business around good morals and code of ethics, uh, so really, really recommend you check out that podcast, but his first question is, do you believe in any... T- the takers. Do you believe in any trackers for HRV? If so, what ones? Um, I type all of our questions on a Google Doc, and I spelt the word wrong. That's what fucked me up. Sorry, Eric. Do you believe in any trackers for HRV? If so, what ones? I go back and forth on this. Um, I think that the Aura Ring is the best one you can get. The finger is a good place to sense these things, and it's a good place where you can wear it constantly without it bugging you. Wearing a chest strap constantly is unrealistic. Wearing a thing on your wrist is realistic, but from what I've heard and read, it's not as accurate as the ring. Um, Also, it's harder to wear, at least for me, harder to wear your Apple Watch to sleep compared to wearing a ring. You don't even feel that. So the Aura Ring is what I would go with, and I do believe in them. I think they're great, and I think they have a lot of validity. Um, I've seen Joel Jameson speak in person. I've uh, beta tested the HRV BioForce like years ago when he came to Vigor and gave it to us and all of our clients to test it out before they launched. So I was like in the forefront beta testers of the like 
one of the original HRVs, which is by Joel Jameson um, and backed by years and years of his studies and research with like Russian Olympic lifters and coaches and stuff like that. Um, so I've actually had experience from the jump. There's a couple problems I see with it. The number one thing I didn't like is I had a lot of people come to the gym that were general folks that were busy individuals who came to release stress. They came to the gym because they had fun. They came to the gym to better their body and their HRV was shit 75% of the time because of work stress. They come off of work. They, they get shitty sleep. They're traveling, all blah, blah, blah. They're excited to get to the gym and I'm like, hey, you're in the red, man. Stress is too high. We got to take it easy over and over again. And they're getting pissed. They're like, dude, I'm paying you to help me train. I want to train. Fuck the HRV. So they were getting pissed. And, and I get it. And I think that the problem with it was, number one, that was at the early stages. So it could be more advanced now. The other thing with that is there's, there's a time and place to train in HR in, in red, right? This is the, the concept of um, overreaching and then peaking and tapering and things like that. Like there's nothing wrong with training when you're stressed. There's nothing wrong with training when you're sore. You just have to monitor it and you have to double down on recovery afterwards. And on top of that, some stresses just aren't removable. So if I can't remove my boss from the equation who pisses me off every day and creates stress, which causes my HRV to go to the red, should I just stop training because I'm never in the green? Like, I don't think so. Um, but at the same time, I will also say that I, a lot of those people that I was experiencing this with probably weren't going as far as they should with recovery. So instead of us removing training, what it should have been is, hey, you're obviously not prioritizing nutrition. You're obviously not prioritizing sleep as well. We can still train hard, but we need to focus on these things too to try to get that red to at least yellow and then eventually hopefully green. So your stress capacity, your ability to handle that stress from work improves. Now we can train harder without worry. So I think that's kind of where my head goes with HRV. Um, if I'm going to recommend any of them, it'd be the aura ring. I think the best thing about it is tracking your sleep. So if anything, I would wear it to bed, track how many hours of restful sleep you get and try to improve your sleep because that's such a game changer. Um, and the other thing with that is just, I don't think people need to add another stress of metrics if if that's what it's going to do. I have a couple people in my mind specifically. Um, I actually believe one of them, so I've been working with uh, Chad Gable, uh, WWE wrestler, and we're doing training, and we track a lot of metrics. Um, it's actually been a really cool uh, project. Myself, I do is all this training. Jason Phillips does all this nutrition, and we kind of have this trio. Um, the dude's a monster. It's really fun. And he, we track a lot of data because we need data with him, and he's an elite athlete. However, like tracking HRV as well just added stress. So one of the first things he told me is like I used to do it a lot, but I took it away because it just added stress. Um, I'm, I'm like 99% sure that was him that told me that. Um, but I've heard that from multiple athletes, so I could be getting it mixed up. But I've heard this from multiple athletes where – you know, like I'm tracking my fitness pal, I'm tracking uh, in a Google sheet. So you guys have biofeedback and then I'm trying to track my sleep and my stress and my steps and, and my activity level in the gym and how much output I'm getting each session. It's just overload. Now you're get, adding stress and you're going into the red on your HRV because you got so much things to think about. So I think if it adds stress, I don't think it's useful. I think the best things about any type of trackers are going to be step count. So you can have general activity levels higher, you're neat. And then I think tracking your sleep. Those two things are worth it in my mind. Um, I had an Apple Watch for a long time. Um, I dropped it and it broke. Uh, but I used it for steps and tracking my sleep and that's it. Like I didn't care about the other measurements because it just added more clutter to the chaos. Um, and one thing I will also say is I dropped it and I spent two days without it and I threw it away. So I was going to get it replaced because I had Apple Care. And I decided not to, and I threw it away because I had such a big stress release from not seeing notifications pop up on my Apple Watch all the time. Because I put my phone on Do Not Disturb all day, but my Apple Watch would be like calendar events and Facebook and Instagram and text messages, and it just it just created more anxiety. And I dropped it, felt so much better, and I got rid of it forever. So, so something to think about um, for you guys constantly checking notifications. And if you get stress from notifications, just a little pro tip from an entrepreneur who is always trying to delegate, time block, manage stress, and have a calmer lifestyle, put your phone on Do Not Disturb and leave it on Do Not Disturb. The only person I can get through Do Not Disturb is my fiance, and I have it set that way. My notifications on Instagram are off. My notifications on Facebook are off. My notifications for text messages are on, but it does not ring or vibrate because it's on Do Not Disturb. So you can only get through that if you're on Shannon's phone and you are calling me. 
literally. Um, and that's been a game changer for me. So I choose when I look at my phone. And that's a super helpful tip for anybody out there. And for everybody who has my number, my my employees, my friends, uh, anybody like that, and you text me and you wonder why I don't text back for two hours, I'm not ignoring you. I just haven't looked at my phone. <laughs> I promise. Uh, Travis, listen to this, probably gets pissed because he's always <laughs> texting me all the question marks. That's why, bro. All right. Second question from Eric. Are some people just bad sleepers or can all sleep be corrected or point to a deficiency in recovery? Hmm. This one I go back and forth with as well. So I have two people in mind, one person specifically, uh, not in a deficit, actually in a surplus, very healthy, very easygoing guy, not a very high-stress individual, eats very, quote-unquote, clean. He had some uh, serious gut issues. He actually worked with Dr. Stephen Cabral, and then he came over to me to kind of transform the body composition side of things. And he can't sleep for shit. I mean, and we're literally trying everything. We've literally gone through all the little quirky things like blue light blockers and cold room and uh, blackout shades and and we're tweaking his nutrition and his meal timing. Like we've done so many fucking things, uh, but nothing, nothing at all. So some people I am convinced like they're just bad sleepers and I don't get it because it's, it doesn't make sense. We've tried everything with him. Um, But I've also seen other people, like I have another person of mine who's a very bad sleeper, who has always been a bad sleeper, sleeper, quote unquote, but she's also been in a chronic deficit for, fuck, as long as she can remember. She came to me for a reverse diet. Sleep is improving, but not significantly, um, and it could be just a coincidence, um, but we also haven't brought her calories up enough to know if that's going to fix it. Um, so I think some people are just overtaxed. They're tired and wired. Their cortisol levels are fucked up, and they don't realize it. Um, and then I think some people really just are bad sleepers. Um, and I think in the same token, I think there, there's so there's studies that show there's a genetic anomaly. That it's like literally like zero point zero one percent of people in the world have a gene that allows them to get by on less sleep. Um, I think more people like to believe that this is them than is actually reality. And it's like basically like these people can sleep five or six hours a night and be like 100% fine and have no hormonal repercussions. Um, and the rest of the population needs seven plus hours. That's just like seven to nine hours is like the sweet spot. However, I will say is like I function very well. And I don't know if that's grit. I don't know if that's hustle. Or I don't know if I'm in that 0.01% of people. Um, but a good example, last night we had some stuff come up. And I think I slept three hours last night, four maybe, off and on, like in and out of sleep. Um, I was waking up to help my daughter. And I had a great workout this morning. Fucking got a lot of work done, doing a podcast. I've only had a cup and a half of coffee. I feel fucking great. So I don't know. And that could be grit. Like I have a lot of passion. I have a lot of purpose in my life. Maybe it's just that. Um, but at the same time, I will say like on Sunday last week, I, I didn't set my alarm for anything, and I slept in until, like, fucking 10 a.m. I think I slept 12 hours. Like, it was crazy. But, you know, it's <laughs> I don't know if that's me catching up. Um, so I go back and forth on this, man. I think there's no way of telling if some people are just bad sleepers. Um, I think some people have un – how do I say this? Unknown things that we really can't determine um, – why they are not sleeping well and whether or not they're handling that okay. Um, so like this guy, like I don't see any significant issues with him because of his bad sleep. However, he reports very little sleep. He has insomnia. He has like issues like that every night. So we don't really know. It's, that's a very hard question to get. And this is exactly why I'm trying to get a sleep expert on the podcast. Um, we've reached out to a couple and we're waiting to see which one we're going to get on because I, I have a lot of questions about sleep to ask. Next question. Chubbs McGee, Daisy May. Love that name. I Every time I see this name, um, I think of a childhood friend. He was actually way younger than me. Um, he was one of my best friends, little brother, my neighbor. Um, he loved yard work. Really weird. Like, obsessed with yard work as he was a kid. And he used to, like, fake mow our lawn, and it was weird. But he loved it, and he had a blast. And he grew out of it, obviously. He's a really good guy now, um, and he hates when I tell that story. <laughs> but uh, I think of him because we call him Chubbs. Connor, but we call him Chubbs. 
What do we do after week eight of FIT, functional intensity training? Do we deload, back to typical stuff? Also, how do we keep up the cardio progression? So if you've purchased FIT, I'll link that in the show notes so you guys can grab that if you want. Um, there is, it's an eight-week program. So there's a couple things you can do with this program. Number one, you can extend it to 16 weeks, which it's too late for you because you already started. So you can do each week twice, which carries on. So there's a lot of variation. Every single week is different. So it's kind of like an eight-week journey. And I progress you through exercise variation. That's why I really thought this this program was really cool and exciting and creative because, for example, week one, your single leg movement pattern, I'm not really worried about you adding load to that week two because I changed the variation. I changed the loading pattern. I changed the tempo. I changed the uh, type of modality you're using, the equipment. I changed the deficit or platform. So we might be going off of a deficit, onto a deficit. There's so many different variations, but it's always the same movement pattern. So we're using these movement patterns and advancing your range of motion throughout them, throughout the uh, program, which is really, really fun. So it's kind of like an adventure program. I look at it like that. I I literally was imagining it like a video game when I was writing it. But you can repeat each week twice. So each micro cycle, so each week becomes two weeks long. So you literally go week one, week one, week two, week two, week three, week three, week four, week four. And then that eight weeks becomes 16. Um, You can also, if you've just gone through the, Eight weeks, you can jump back to the beginning because week one is less intense than week eight by a long shot because the variations aren't as challenging. Also, you've gotten stronger. So what you can do is go through the entire program. You can deload, then go back to week one, or you can literally just jump right back to week one and go through it a second time. I wouldn't go through this a third time. Um, Go through it a second time, and you'll be able to do the movements more efficiently, and you'll be able to add load on those movements going through it a second time. Um, So it'll... Your body, your muscles are stupid. It'll think it's a new program because it's a different stimulus. You add load, you get better, you have a further range of motion, deeper deficit, so on and so forth. Um, So you can always do that as well. Um, Or what I would do is I would switch to a more upper-lower bodybuilding-style split. Functional intensity training is a a very uh, functional... uh, bodybuilding, functional, full body, like kind of program. It's, it's, a, it's a program that really utilizes movement and energy systems. So it, it was kind of bridging the gap between true strength training and CrossFit, in my opinion. There is some intense periods. But there's also some lower intense periods where we're doing sustained effort. We're using all the energy system. We're using very dynamic movement patterns, and we're doing full body. So it's kind of taking some CrossFit, in, in my opinion, managing the intensities a little bit better. That's why I called it functional intensity training. I believe that it's managed intensity throughout the entire program. So you're doing it properly and you're functionally recovering at at the rate you need to. So I think CrossFitters who need to take a break from CrossFit or are a little burnt out would absolutely love FIT. Um, But what I like doing is doing the program you're not currently doing. So if you just went through an eight-week period of some really intense training, full body, so on and so forth, I would switch over to something like functional muscle two or density, very bodybuilding specific programs. Functional muscle two is a five day a week program. Density is a four day a week program. Um, functional muscle two is very science based bodybuilding, so using very science based methods that are going to build muscle. Like that's it's hypertrophy, it's science driven. Um, that's probably my pride and joy. I put a lot of effort into that one. Uh, density is. A bodybuilding program that shifts into a full body power building program. So it literally takes you from like very bodybuilding style at the beginning and shifts you into full body strength training um, that's more like power building focused. And I like that because there's variation and it's a good transition from FIT because you do have a big drastic change going into the upper lower split that's very bodybuilding focused. But then you kind of shift back in to that power building full body type of training just like FIT was. So that's probably what my recommendation would be is shift into one of those programs. Um, or you can always join the elite and you have tons of options and you have access to me inside the group. Um, and there's a link to that in the show notes. But that's that's an easy one because I can guide you inside the group of what you should do next. Um, as far as h- how to keep up with the cardio progression, you can do one of two things. You can A, go back to the beginning. And again, you're going to be better. So at the beginning, for example, I think week one on the rower, you're doing like eight minutes of sustained aerobic capacity work. Well, let's say that your time on the rower or your, your let's say you were getting 250 meters per five minutes. 
Um, that's a good track record to like keep track of. Well, after going through that, you should be able to get 240 for 500 meters, right? You should have improved your aerobic capacity and do better. So a lot of programs you can go through, come back, progress again. Um, and then the other piece of that is, is switching the cardio based on your goal. If performance is your goal, you could do something very similar and in, in intensity driven. So we're working on conditioning as a performance method. Or you can shift and do uh, literally just fat loss focus. So that's going to be 10 rounds of 15 on, 30 off, battle ropes one day, which is high intensity intervals, go on a walk afterwards. And then one day you're doing 40 minutes of stair stepper because it's low intensity. If fat loss is your goal, we have less concern about being efficient at it. We have more concern about being inefficient. So we just want to change things up and just do cardio to burn calories. So it really depends on your goal. Amanda Jessica Segun, how do physique competitors work on their abs? Oh, she has multiple questions. Okay, so the first one is how do physique competitors work on their abs? Um, there's a couple methods that you can use. Um, I personally think a frequency is best. Uh, if you, the problem with like having an ab day or even for like, I'll, I'll put abs on leg days and I'll just do like a couple sets. So we'll do like hanging leg raises and sit-ups and three sets of each. It's enough to stimulate the abs, it's enough to build abs, but it's not enough to just demolish and cramp your abs. And that's, you don't want that. Because if the next day you go into the gym and you have squats, you have lunges, you have bench press, you have overhead press, you have any type of compound movement and your abs are literally cramping, it's going to throw off your form. Now you're not performing the movement as quality, high quality as you possibly can. You're probably not going to progressively overload that over time. And now your abs are actually hindering your results. Um, but, and this is like old school shit, like what old school bodybuilders used to do. If you do a high frequency because you really want to build your abs, and this is what a lot of physique competitors do, I think you can get better results. So, for example, at the end of every workout, you do four sets of anywhere between 10 to 25 reps of an ab exercise, and you just switch it. So one day is decline sit-ups. One day is weighted sit-ups. One day is a cable crunch. One day is hanging leg raises. One day is uh, some kind of side plank or anti-rotation movement. So you're working your obliques. Maybe it's a windmill. Like... There's so many different things you can do, but you just do it as a finisher. After every lifting session, you do a finisher for your abs, whether you're lifting four days a week or six days a week. It doesn't really matter. But now we're doing enough to constantly stimulate the abs without annihilating them. And I think a high frequency really works well with them because it's not something that – it's not like a bench press where we're trying to build our chest or we're trying to build our quads. So we're going to squat and we're going to bench and we're going to progressively get stronger in those lifts so our, t our load intensity and volume actually increase over time. Your goal isn't to like cable crunch 200 pounds and slowly progress by adding five pounds to the cable machine every week. Your goal is to just create tension in your abs and just stimulate them. So I think high frequency is going to work better, and that's what a lot of physique competitors do. What are your top five most effective progressive overload ab movements? Okay, so I just basically just covered that, so I should have read that first. <laughs> um, my top five effective progressive overload ab movements, I wouldn't focus on progressive overload on abs. I would just focus on frequency and um, actual stimulation of your core, doing it properly. Um, and what I mean by that is a lot of people will do hanging leg raises or sit-ups, and they will feel their hip flexors and their rectus femoris, so that like top middle muscle on your upper quad. They'll feel that shit a ton because they're trying to bring their thigh to their stomach or their thigh to their chest, and they're firing their hip flexes flexors versus trying to bring your knees to your chest like a hanging knee raise by reverse crunching so actually tucking your tailbone and crunching your spine um, same thing with a crunch you should be focusing on crunching your spine I personally think the best ab movements um, are going to be a cable crunch with the rope behind your head on your knees because you can load it and you can really focus on that spine flexion that crunching of the spine and you can pull the rib cage down exhale and slowly reverse your body up um, and then I think some kind of reverse crunch. So you can do a reverse crunch on the ground, a reverse crunch on a bench, um, or a hanging leg raise if you have enough strength to like hold yourself up there for a while. But either way, we're basically doing a spinal crunch in the flexion and the reverse flexion state. So bringing your knees to your chest and bringing your chest to your knees. I think that's the best thing to do. Um, if you're going to add to that, I would do some kind of anti-rotation. Um, whether you're hanging from a bar and doing uh, the windmill-like thing, or windmill, I keep saying that, windshield wipers, um, or you're doing windshield wipers on a Swiss ball, or you're doing um, like a anti-rotation plank variation where you're reaching underneath yourself or you're planking on a landmine, stuff like that. There's a lot of cool of those variations in FIT, but something like that. I think if you do a flexion, anti-flexion, 
and uh, I mean, if we want to get technical, flexion, anti-flexion, anti-extension, so some kind of plank, um, anti-rotation, um, and then actually rotation, control the rotation as well. You're going to hit those four or five. You're going to be golden. Um, and then she just threw in there, loving, loving the body density is giving me, followed up from functional muscle, but still want the definition I see others have. Skinny fat. Um, so I, I definitely think you need to build your abs because I think a lot of people will lose weight. And then once they lose weight, they're not. So this is the, this is the biggest problem I see with, um, a lot of women actually, um, who get lean multiple times in a row. They get lean, gain a little weight, get lean, gain a little weight, get lean, gain a little weight. But every time they get lean, they're never really happy because they're in that skinny fat mode. They never get that like dense, hard body that they see on the cover of magazines or they see athletes have and they, that they want. But athletes, the people on cover of magazines, they spend time at maintenance calories. They spend time in surpluses. They spend time focusing on building muscle. Like dense, quote unquote, tone and lean athlete, athletic women who are in like, let's say, sport or CrossFit or any type of modality like that, they spend time trying to build muscle and strength. They don't spend time dieting. So if they do cut or they do burn fat, when they do, they have abs and they have a lot of muscle tone underneath. That muscle density underneath is what creates that look that most of us are looking for. And I did the same thing. I got I lost a bunch of weight at the beginning and was like, oh, now I just look skinny fat. I don't look like that dude on Men's Health Magazine. So I had to learn like, okay, I need to build some muscle. And I spent time trying to gain weight. And then I came back and cut. Like it's a long game strategy, but I think that's the best way to go. Stacy Ormi. Yeah, Orm or Ormi. Stacy Ormi, type your question here. <laughs> this is how you know, like, I feel <laughs> I feel like uh, like an anchorman. You know, <laughs> on anchorman when they put the uh, teleprompter up and they just have, like, words on there. And those motherfuckers will read whatever you put in front of them. I just did that shit because she filled out the question box on my website. And when I copied and pasted, I copied and pasted the type your question here. So I literally just pulled anchorman feel dumb. Hey, Cody. Thanks for sharing your wealth of knowledge. You're welcome. I am five foot tall, 108 pounds, cycling instructor, two to two to three one-hour classes per week, and I'm in a cut, prioritizing weight training five to six times a week. Can I simply add more cardio to lean out instead of cutting macros? Uh, that's hard. I would say no because you're, if you're weight training five to six times a week and you're instructing cycling classes three times a week, two to three times a week, I would say no. So what I would do is like let's say I would make sure you get three cardio sessions per week. And the reason I say that is because then you have a static metric, a static uh, consistent variable. If you're doing two classes some weeks, three classes some weeks – your energy expenditure is going up or down. So on the weeks you have two classes, I would go on a hour-long casual walk, like low intensity, to match up for that cardio you didn't do. And I would always do a different cardio other than cycling because your body will adapt quickly to the type of cardio you do. Um, and then you're training five to six days a week, which I think is great. I think you should prioritize that. I think your results are strictly going to come from nutrition because – your body is so adapted to cardio already, you're constantly doing it. Doing more cardio is just going to burn you out. It's going to stress your nervous system, stress your adrenals, and it's not going to produce the same results as cutting macros would because your body is adapted to that type of caloric deficit, the type of energy expenditure you're doing to create a deficit. So, you know, like adding cardio for you is probably not going to be as advantageous for somebody who is doing five to six weight training a week and not doing any cardio. If you weren't doing those cycling classes for an hour and I'm assuming have been doing those for a long period of time, I would say, yes, you should add more cardio to lean out. But because you already do a ton, your body's probably pretty adapted to that type of stimulus. I would say, no, I would go with macros for sure. Um, and, and this is another good example of somebody you might, you're five foot 108. You're not big. You probably have barely any weight to lose. So you might be a person that, depending on how long you've been cutting for, you might have to stop and go, okay, I've been at this for a while. I'm at a plateau. I'm going to spend time maintaining. I'm going to spend a little bit of time trying to build some muscle, and then I'm going to get back into a cut for a short period of time with periodic diet breaks throughout that timeline so that I can actually achieve fat loss without driving myself further into the ground. Sarah Pringle, 
How do you break cardioaholics' obsession with cardio? This is a funny question after that one. I've given all the information about how important lifting is for body composition goals, but they are nervous slash scared slash uncomfortable to go lift. Um, number one, send them my article that I just wrote on Meredith. Meredith was the client I took through the 15-minute uh, quick reverse diet. 15-month reverse diet. I wrote a blog on it. I'm going to link it in the show notes. But she came to me, and she was doing stair stepper, I want to say, three or four times a week. She was doing weights but in a circuit fashion. So really it was like high-intensity cardio, um, and that's it. So we took out almost all of that. We left two days of like low-intensity cardio at first, and we added strength training. That's it. And then we slowly switched the list into more hits because she wanted to get them done quicker and she enjoyed hit training. Um, and the results speak for themselves. She dramatically transformed her body. Um, but usually the way I do it too is like if I have a client in a state where they're just not wanting to buy in, I say, hey, give me three weeks. If this doesn't work, if you don't feel better, if you don't see a change, if your performance doesn't improve, whatever the goal is, in that three-week period, we can go back to exactly what you were doing. And the reality is, is what you are doing is not getting you where you want to be. That's why I step in and I give you new resources and new ideas and new methods and tools in order to change the results you're seeing. You don't like the results you're seeing. That's why you hired me. So why would we continue to do the same thing that you've been doing, which is not getting you to the place you want to be at? Right? It's kind of common sense when you say it out loud like that. And if you say it in a respectful manner and you explain to them, like, hey, I'm trying to give you a new route because the route you're taking, it's not getting you to the destination you want to go to. If you can explain it that way, I think it kind of opens their eyes to like, fuck, they're right. I'm running in circles. So that's how I would approach it. And then I would just say, hey, give me three weeks. Give me three weeks. If this doesn't pan out and show you some better results in three weeks, you won't feel better in three weeks, we can go back to what we were doing. Um, and three weeks is enough time to start seeing progress. Like maybe not tons of scale change, but you will notice a difference. Adrian Frank Ling, does additional accessory work, example abs, have to be done at the end of a workout or can be done throughout the day like mobility work? Also, does the accessory work have to be paired with the same muscle group as your main compound lift for maximal results? Thank you, Cody. So I think you're confusing uh, accessory work with isolation work. Accessory work would be a dumbbell step up or a dumbbell lunge to be an accessory for the squat or a barbell RDL as an accessory for the sumo deadlift, um, a half kneeling landmine press as an accessory for the barbell bench press. So those things should not be done throughout the day because you're not going to just stop and do some landmine presses at the office, right? Like that doesn't work like that. Um, but on, not only is that not feasible or sustainable, um, I think breaking up your training session too much like that would just, number one, it's just, it's, how are you going to adhere to that? Number two, you're constantly sending a pretty good stressor to your body. It's, it's not mobility. You're not just doing a hip flexor stretch. You're actually putting your body through stress, um, which I don't think is advantageous. Stress the shit out of your body in a training session, which is good. Push stress, push cortisol, go hard, and then recover, right? Don't stress, 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 four hours later, stress, three hours later, stress, right? That's not a good, good look. Um, and I think the same goes with isolation work, though. I think if you're doing too much isolation work throughout the day, your body's never getting a chance to recover. Austin Current on my last podcast had a really good example of this. It's like hiring a, a, a construction crew to build a house um, and a demolition crew to tear down the old house or something like that. I, he said it better than me. I, I'm butchering his, his analogy. Sorry, Austin. But he basically said, but you hired more demolition guys than you did builders. So as you're building, you're demolishing more. Right, So as you're trying to build muscle, you're actually breaking it down more. Building is recovery. Breaking down is training. So if you're training too much and you're not building up, you're not recovering, you're not stimulating growth. So I would say no. I wouldn't want you doing lateral raises and curls and all these random things throughout the day. That's just going to tax your nervous system more. Spend time in the gym. Stress it out. At most, do it once. Like, and, and I would pick one body part so you don't overload the nervous system. So let's say you want to improve your glutes. Do glute bridges at night before bed, but do like two sets of 25. You stimulate the muscle. You don't annihilate the muscle. Shoulders, do some lateral raises. Again, two sets of 20, and you do them like every other day. That's fine, but I think doing too much throughout the day can just can cause issues. Um, and accessory work doesn't necessarily have to be paired with the same muscle group. So I actually prefer on a, on a full body program to spread it out. So what I will do is like have a full body day, 
but it's a squat focus day, a full body day, and it's a, uh, it's a overhead press day. However, on my overhead press, I'm going to do the overhead press, and then my first accessory movement might be an accessory for the bench press, which is my day four compound lift, right? And on my bench press day, I'm doing an accessory for the overhead press. So now I'm doing a higher frequency per muscle group and per movement pattern, um, and I'm spreading it out. So I'm not doing the accessory on that day. So for a squat, if it's a lunge, I might do the lunge after the deadlift. So my deadlift day has some more variation, has some more frequency. Uh, after my squat, I might do a hip thrust or RDL, which is the assess accessory to my deadlift. Um, and I actually like that a lot. Um, abs can be placed anywhere. Um, and you can also do this with uh, specialization phases. So uh, if you're doing an upper-lower split, you might finish every session with lateral raises because you're specializing in shoulders that, that month, right? So there's a lot of ways you can be do this. I don't think there's any one said way. Um, but I probably wouldn't do um, a ton of isolation work throughout the day. Tony Pasture. Tips on minimizing brain fog during a cut. Hmm. I know it sounds cliche, but clean foods, uh, I do think that helps. Um, I think if you have really good clean foods that are easily digestible, it's going to be easier on your gut. Your gut's really tied in with your brain. I think you're going to eliminate brain fog. Um, lots of water. Um, I think... Uh, balancing your macros better. I think I find brain fog happens more when you have like a super high caloric meal. So if you have a huge breakfast and then like a moderate lunch, a small snack, and then a medium dinner, I think you're going to have brain fog throughout the day because you had such a big meal in the morning and puts you into parasympathetic mode, rest and digest, and you're just not alert. Your cortisol is not high anymore. Um, I would balance it out more. So if you're experiencing brain fog, I would probably spread out my nutrients better. So have a, a more balanced approach to each meal. So each meal is pretty evenly spread. Um, if you have, if you notice brain fog, and you got to take notes on this stuff, if you notice more brain fog after a carb-based meal, because that carb is dropping, uh, spiking insulin, dropping cortisol, putting you into parasympathetic mode, you might want to take carbs out of your earlier part of your day, even if you train. So carb backloading at the end of the day is a great way to do this because if carbs make you sleepy, make you foggy, you can push those towards the end of the day. You have a big carb dosage. It actually puts you into that brain fog, into that parasympathetic mode, which actually helps you sleep, and it avoids having less productivity throughout the day. Um, so that's the biggest thing. And then I would also say um, refeeds and diet breaks because the main reason people are getting like sluggish or brain fog or fatigued is just because you're in a deficit. Um, so I would probably... I would probably go with uh, adding diet breaks and refeeds on a more regular basis. So you can just pull yourself out of that deficit more often. Rhiannon Healy, best success, success story you've had with a client? Hmm. I mean, the first couple that come to mind are definitely like some of the 100-pound loses. Like I've had a f multiple clients that have lost over 100 pounds, which is always super empowering. Um. Best success story that the, for sure that comes to mind is um, uh, I, I trained this client a long time ago. Um, I'm not going to say any names because I don't have the right to, and I'm not going to go into super detail. Um, but she had some horrific things happen to her in her life, um, and it caused some severe, severe social anxiety, some severe, severe uh, PTSD. Um, and when I say, like, horrible things in her life. Like, I mean, like things you, I, I couldn't even imagine, like the amount of empathy I have for this person is just insane. Um, such a strong woman. And she, I mean, being in the gym would create a very serious PTSD panic attack, like crazy. Um, and there was this personal growth journey that she was on. And part of that meant that she had to build up the courage to be able to be inside of a gym. Um, and if you knew what had happened to her, it would make a lot more sense. Um, but again, it's not my right to say any details. Um, but basically she hired me and she wanted me to help her achieve that. Um, and the long-term goal was to join a semi-pro football team. Uh, mind you, this person hadn't been in a gym for maybe over a decade. Um, wasn't in a super strong or physically fit position. She didn't have a ton of experience. So we were starting from essentially ground zero. And you're telling me you have PTSD and you want to play for a semi-pro football team. I told her I have no experience with PTSD. I have no experience with that level of mental um, fortitude or, or what needs to be done in order to break through those barriers. And this is this is four years ago. Um, but I said I would do it if she trusts me that this is new for me too, and she did. And, and 
I, I taught her how to lift. I taught her how to meditate. I taught her how to do positive focus. I taught her how to journal. Um, she would have panic attacks and PTSD moments in gym. I was the only person that could come up and like put my hand on her shoulder and talk to her and say certain things and pull her out of that moment. Like it was pretty intense. It was one of the most intense training client relationships I've ever experienced in my life, but it was also the most fulfilling one because she lost probably 40 pounds. She got super fucking strong, super fucking fast, played for the, she made the team and played for the semi-pro football team. Um, she accomplished everything she wanted to, um, over the course of two years with me. Uh, it was just honestly insane. We actually made, there was like a documentary about her that we did like a mini documentary. It's probably still on YouTube, um, on the vigor ground YouTube, but it's just insane story. Um, really, really powerful, uh, by far the best success story I've ever, I've ever had. Two more questions. Brian Matney. Do you set a limit on daily fruit intake with clients when in a fat loss phase? How much fruit would be considered too much in a day in relation to overall carbs for the day and compared to carbs coming from starchy sources like sweet potatoes or rice? And does this change if someone is in maintenance or in lean gains phase? Yes, it does. So if somebody's in maintenance or lean gain phase, I'm less strict on it because we're trying to gain weight. However, in general, I'm usually in the camp of one to two servings per day for everybody, almost everybody. Um, it, it's a little bit different than a starch because the more muscle mass you have, the more muscle glycogen you can store. So therefore, the more carbohydrates you can take in. But those carbohydrates are primarily going to need to come from starches because muscle glycogen is converted better and more effectively um, from starch. Like that's what starch does. We eat potatoes, rice, starch, bread, whatever. It gets converted Right, So glucose turns into glycogen. It gets stored in the muscle. That's what we use for training. Our liver glycogen is primarily based on fruit, fructose. So when we eat fruit, it turns fructose, goes to liver glycogen. Some of that may possibly turn into muscle glycogen, but it's very rare. 90-plus percent of it goes straight to our liver. Our liver is super important for daily health, for our nervous system, for training hard in the gym. It's actually important for hydration and hormones and so many different things. So we need the, the liver glycogen to be tapped out and stored fully, but we need to consume fruit to do that. It, the capacity for our liver to store glycogen is so much lower than muscle from a baseline. But as you build muscle, that difference grows even bigger. Um, so for most people, we're going to, and now obviously some people are bigger, they're going to be able to consume more fruit, but especially in a fat loss phase, I'm going with one to two servings. One to two servings a day is going to cover your bases. Every night when you sleep, you deplete about 50% of your liver glycogen through, um, just breathing literally. So, so as you deplete through oxygen, you need to replenish that. That's why eating fruit in the morning is probably a good idea. Um, eating fruit pre and post workout is also a good idea because it can spike insulin as well because it still is a sugar. But um, in general, I go with one to two. If you're doing a lean gains or in a maintenance phase, I'll say two to three. Two, make sure that you cover your bases. Three is like a little bit extra. It's not going to hurt. Um, and if you like fruit, great. But if somebody's going for fat loss, I'll let them know like, hey, let's go to two. And sometimes I'll even bring it to one just to lower the amount of daily sugar they consume. And I usually recommend consuming high antioxidant, high fiber fruits, things like kiwis or blueberries or any type of berries really. Um, yeah. That, that's kind of like my take on it. Um, it's, it's, it's definitely different compared to sweet potatoes and rice like you mentioned um, because it's liver versus muscle glycogen. And usually I'm saying one to two servings per day. And that's pretty much baseline across the board. And the reason it's baseline across the board, um, one to two servings could be one to two cups, but I kind of look at it as like a handful. Um, the bigger you are, the bigger your handful, the bigger your body, the bigger your organs, the more carbohydrates, the calories, and fruit you can consume. So if we say one serving is one handful – you should be striving for one to two handfuls per day. Um, and if you are like me and you'd rather actually measure things out, one to two cups works great too. So for me personally, I do a usually a half a cup of blueberries with my oats, half a cup to a full cup of blueberries depending on my calories uh, with my oats or cream of rice in the morning, which is like my pre-workout meal. I either have like egg whites or a protein shake with either oatmeal, some grass-fed butter and blueberries or cream of rice, grass-fed butter and blueberries kind of just depends on how many carbs I have to play with that day and if I'm cutting, if I'm lean gaining, so on and so forth. Um, 
and then I'll have uh, a brown spotted banana either post-workout or as like a nighttime snack inside of like chocolate casein protein with PB2 and, and uh, mixed up like ice cream. Um, and that's kind of how like my flexible diet works. Like I use casein protein and PB2 and shit like that. But that's two servings for me. It's a decent sized banana and then a half a cup to a full cup of blueberries. And I'm good. Last question. Pro Burke, can you please talk more about lean gaining, especially for women? The surplus is supposed to be really small. Do you still feel like it's difficult to eat this much food or you don't really notice these extra 100 calories? How much muscle can a female expect to add per month and how much extra fat when lean gaining? If someone is a small female who actually maintains her weight on at 18 calories times body weight, does she even need any surplus to add muscle? So I think you have to check off all your bases as you go through this. And it depends on your personal adaptive thermogenesis, your personal uh, – how adaptive your metabolism is. So I have a, a female client in a lean gaining phase right now who has a very adaptive metabolism. And we've been slowly inching her calories up to kind of find that sweet spot. But every time she gains weight, she drops weight. Like she's eating 350 grams of carbs and I think 60 or 70 grams of fat and hundred and. 60 grams of protein? I don't know. I can't remember off the top of my head. But we've just been adding 25 carbs, waiting, adding 25 carbs, waiting after cut. And it's just like she keeps adapting and adapting and adapting. So we haven't found that spot yet. Now we're going to start inching it up a little bit slower, and we're doing little trickier things. So number one, you have to be meticulous with progressive overload. If you're not making sure that you're adding volume or load per week over the course of months, that's our number one sign of gaining muscle. So we can add a little bit of calories, sure, but if you're not progressively overloading, is it really working? Who knows? That's like the telltale sign. So make sure you're really meticulous about your progressive overload. You're tracking that. Measure yourself every two weeks. Arms, legs, navel, inch be- couple inches below, couple inches above navel, hips, glutes, thighs, shoulders, chest, lats. Like measure everything. Are they growing? They should be. If your stomach is staying the same and your muscles are growing, you're in the right place. If you're eating an amount of calories that is almost uncomfortable, like you don't feel like you can sustainably add more calories, you're tracking all these things and you're just not seeing progress, the next best thing to do is actually to like play with supplementation. So make sure you're taking creatine every day. Make sure that you're timing your meals very well. Make sure that you're doing like intra-workout carbohydrates. So supplement with highly branched cyclic dextrin or dextrose or something like that and essential amino acids, 30 to 40 grams during your workout. You're sipping it throughout. So that's 30 to 40 grams of carbs, which is extra calories, over 100 calories of carbs that you're not really noticing because you're drinking them and they're immediately getting shuttled to the muscle glycogen because that's what highly branched cyclic dextrin does. And it's been shown to be advantageous for muscle growth. So this is kind of where we get nitty gritty and start adding the little details. Um, And then at that point, if you're still not gaining, you really do just need more calories or you need to find a way to burn less calories. So if your knee is through the roof, if you're doing a bunch of cycling, if you're adding cardio – Maybe you need to drop some of that. Maybe you need to sleep more. So with, with a female, it, it's definitely slower gains, and you don't need as many calories, but you also need to make sure that all these little things are in check before you just start adding calories because you don't want to gain a bunch of extra fat. Um, but I would say how much can a female expect to add per month? A, a beginner, a pound, maybe a pound and a half. An advanced individual, half a pound, maybe a pound. Um, a month, you don't need that much. Like I think we're striving for a uh, half a pound a month right now, maybe a pound a month. So like it, basically you're up to a quarter pound a week. That doesn't seem like much, but if you look at muscle, it's actually a lot. If you take a steak, a one-pound steak, 16-ounce steak, pull that into shreds and put it on your body. That's a lot of fucking muscle, and that's a pound, right? So an advanced male is a little bit above what a female would gain because they have higher testosterone levels and a different hormonal profile. Um, and they're bigger usually, so they can handle more loads, which means their volume can go higher. But it's still very, very slow. For men, it's it's an advanced lifter. It's, it's around a, maybe a pound a month at most too. Um, now, if you want to gain fat with it, there is some uh, studies that may allow us to believe that you could probably gain more muscle quickly with some added fat. So if you're okay adding fat along the way, let's say you add two pounds a month, one pound muscle, one pound fat. Yeah, you added a pound of fat, but you may have only gained a half a pound of muscle if you didn't allow that fat to be gained. So it really just depends on how lean you want to stay and how long you have. Um, 
and this is so highly individual. Like I said, it's, it's hard for me to say because it depends on your training, depends on your stress, depends on your history, depends on if you really are an advanced lifter, if you're a beginner, if you're a novice, what those years of lifting even look like, how adaptive is your metabolism. So there's a lot that goes into this and a lot that kind of makes it a very individual matter uh, client to client. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomperformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.